Hey, well, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here to worship with us today. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or at one of the venues at an offsite campus, wherever you may be. We are excited that you are here. Last week, we kicked off a new series called Welcome Home, which we titled so for two reasons. The first of which is that we want you to feel welcome here at Seacoast. And I'm not talking about just somebody smiling as you pull in the parking lot or shaking your hand as you come in the door, kind of welcome. We really wanna get to know you. What are you going through? What are you walking through in life? Where are you in your walk with God? And how can we come alongside of you to help you take the next step? Can you imagine what it would be like if you had somebody over your house for dinner one night and you welcomed them as they came in the door, they took a seat on the couch, but then you didn't talk to them the rest of the night? <laughs> it comes to be bedtime, you go put on your pajamas, they're still sitting there. <laughs> this is weird, right? We do not want that for you. We also don't want you showing up in your pajamas, but we do want you to feel like this is a place you could call home, right? That you'll meet some friends that could ultimately start to feel like family and that this would be a place where you're welcome to not show up and be the best version of you, the polished version of you, but just as you are, just where you are, that you could show up and feel welcomed and feel at home here at Seacoast. One of my favorite things about this series is that we produce some small group curriculum to go along with it that we posted on Right Now Media. It's video curriculum. We also provided some questions. And here in Mount Pleasant, across all of our campuses, we launched hundreds of new small groups. This will be the second week of those groups. And so it's not too late for you to join us and just do a, a three-week experiment. If you've never been in a group, it is where significant life change happens. And so your campus pastor will let you know how you can take that step here at the end of the service today, but we'd love to see you take part in a group. What we're doing in these small groups over the next couple weeks is looking at our mission statement. What's unique to us as a church family and who God's called us to be? And our mission is there at the top of your outline sheet. It says, Seacoast exists to help people find God, grow their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Last week, Pastor Greg talked with us about what I believe to be the most important part of that mission statement, and it's that we're here to help people find God. It's what our weekend experience is all about. Each aspect of this mission statement has an environment in which you really experience that in, and we believe finding God happens in this environment. It's what we have in mind when we're planning through the worship series, uh, services, when we're scripting the messages. Who are the people that are gonna be here that don't know him, and how can we give spirit-filled, practical instruction to help them find God? And this week, I wanna talk with us about growing your faith, growing your faith. You know, if I were to ask you to grow your muscles, uh, you say, well, which muscles do you want me to grow, right? And I'll say, all right, well, how about we do your leg muscles? Guys, if you're anything like me, when I was in high school, I hated leg day. Uh, college, I didn't think girls liked legs, and so I focused on chest, bicep, triceps. Guys, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course, right? And so nobody did leg day. So I'd say, let's focus on the legs, and you say, okay, well, what can we do? I would, I would start, we could say, we can measure your legs, see how big your muscles are. We could then do some squats, some box jumps, some thrusts, some sprints. Over the course of a month, we would be able to measure and document on paper, we could both see it. Are your muscles actually growing? Are you getting stronger, right? If I said I want you to grow your savings account, you could um, track your spending week to week and check after check, month after month. You could maybe cut cable, do some things differently. We would be able to document and see, is your savings account actually growing? If I said I want you to grow your family, right? For some of you, that might mean uh, starting with finding a spouse and, and then doing some other things. Uh, that's a different message entirely, right? 
but that's a God-ordained process for growing your family. In just about any area of your life, if I were to ask you to grow in it, there's either a relatively intuitive or God-ordained process that lays out what growth looks like. But when I say I want you to grow your faith, what comes to mind for you? For me, growing my faith brings about a lot of questions. What actually is my faith? What is faith? What does it look like for me to grow it, and how do I know if I'm actually growing it or not? Well, the Bible gives us a definition for faith in Hebrews 11.1 there on your outline, and it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Being confident and what we hope for, even though we're sure that we don't see it. Last week, Pastor Greg said, that was the spirit, the spirit of faith that Seacoast was first planted in, a handful of families getting together with the dream in their heart that now all of us get to live into and experience. He made something that was in their heart a reality by faith. Some of you here today are men and women of great faith, and you're not even aware of it. You, you believe in the impossible, you see the unseen. It's called being a Carolina fan. Yeah. Week one of the season comes, the UNC loss, all year you've been telling you this is gonna be the year, it's gonna be different. No, it's not, right? <laughs> then week two comes, you win a game, but it's disappointing, it's not even a good one. You don't even appreciate the win, right? You're just used to losing. But it does show me that I believe God is a Clemson fan as well. They're in Hebrews, or a Carolina fan. In Hebrews 11, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. You don't need faith to be a Clemson fan. They're gonna win year after year after year. But you need faith to be a Carolina fan, right? And they're still gonna lose. Well, apart from, and this is coming from a Carolina boy, okay, so I'm with you. It's painful and discouraging and just awful, but we do it year after year. Anyway, I don't know. <laughs> apart from defining what faith is for us there in Hebrews 11, one, the Bible also tells us that there are different measures of faith. And one of my favorite examples of this comes in Matthew chapter eight. Let me set it up for you a little bit. At the beginning of the chapter, a centurion comes to Jesus and he says, hey, I have a servant at home who is sick and, and if you could, could you, could you heal him? And Jesus says, okay, do you want me to come to your house? The centurion says, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but I'm a man under authority. I say to this one, go, and he goes, and this one, come, and he comes. I know all you have to do is say the word and my servant will be healed. And so this is Jesus' response to him there on your outline in verses 10 and 13. He says, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Everybody say great faith. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would, and his servant was healed in that moment. So just a few verses later, same chapter, after a long day of ministry, Jesus and the disciples get in the boat. Jesus, a little worn out, takes a nap there on the boat, and as they push out onto the lake, a storm comes up on the, the boat. Water, waves start building and sloshing into the boat. The disciples are getting scared, freaked out. Jesus, save us, we're gonna drown. Jesus wakes up, and this is his response to them there in verse 26. You of little faith, everybody say little faith. You have little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. Now, the observation, the concerning thing that comes to mind for me is that if I were to self-select one of these two people groups, this centurion who's a Gentile, or the disciples who are actively following Jesus, the group that I would put myself in is that of the disciples. 
I'm following after Jesus. You're here today because in some way you wanna take a step closer to him, yet that is the people group that Jesus committed as having little faith. So if you were honest today, just between yourself and the Lord, maybe you put a little X on the spectrum there on the outline sheet, but the visual that came to mind for me was that line of little faith and great faith. And if you had to be honest today, where are you in your faith? How would you describe your faith, little or great? Now the good news for all of us today is that both for the centurion, um, his, he experienced the miraculous, God healed his servant, the man of great faith, and for the disciples whom he said had little faith. It wasn't the measure of their faith that determined whether or not they experienced the miraculous, it was the fact that they had it. Hebrews 17, 20 there on your outline says, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But the question that comes to mind for me is that man, if you're a two or a four or a six, seeing that spectrum of little faith to great faith, why would we not hunger after more? Why would we not do everything within our power to move from a four to a six or from an eight to a 10? At the end of my days, I want God to look upon my faith and be like, Walters, I haven't seen such faith in all of Mount Pleasant, you know? <laughs> Why are you laughing at that? <laughs> like, because we know you, man. It's like, but I wanna have that kind of faith. What would it look like for us to have that kind of faith to grow in our faith? Well, there's a number of things that we are aware of and some that we aren't that would keep us from growing, that are growth inhibitors. I put a few of them there on your outline, the first of which is self-reliance. I mean, I pride myself in working hard. I, I wake up, get going after the day, I work hard here at the church, I go home and help Katie take care of our 18 kids, we <laughs> clean up dinner, right? Get the kids in bed, pick up the house, and I, I like to hit the bed spent. I gave the day my all. Well, if you're a very driven person or a hard worker, if there's work in front of you, you're gonna go at it and knock it out, and it's easy for you to become dependent on yourself, to rely on yourself to get it done and not rely on the Lord. Self-reliance can keep us from growing in our faith. Number two is medication. Man, there is significant need for medication to prolong and sustain life. I believe God has uniquely gifted doctors to prescribe and help us do so but you would not believe the number of times that I've had a headache and I've popped an ibuprofen instead of turning to my maker, right? Saying, God, I've got this headache. Could you bring about healing in my body? Something in my stomach will be going on and I'll be popping Tums like Skittles, right? <laughs> and God says, you need to stop eating the Skittles, right? That's what causes it, right? But I can turn to medicine before I turn to my maker. That can be a, a faith, a growth inhibitor. Technology. A couple weeks ago, my, my washing machine broke and the screen was flashing D24, some code. And so I Googled Samsung D24. Sure enough, some homeboy made a YouTube video on how to fix your washing machine when that code, so I unscrewed the thing, water went everywhere, put it back together, and it started working again, right? But oftentimes, we can turn to Google before we turn to God. For generations, believers haven't had the technology that we do. They've had to lean in and pray. I've never prayed over a washing machine, right? <laughs> Maybe I should have, I, you know, but we can turn to technology for answers before we turn to God. It can hinder our faith from growing. Wealth, if you've got a lot of financial resources, man, you can spend a lot of time and money in pursuit of, of possessions and things, desiring happiness and joy. 
right? Your wealth can get you a long way, keep you reliant on it instead of being reliant on the Lord. Number five, familiarity. I remember when I first came to Christ, it was as if scales had fallen from my eyes. I was seeing things differently. I read through the Gospels, learned some about prayer and fasting, and I had some friends who weren't believers yet. So I was like, all right, God, I'm gonna start fasting until they make decisions to follow after you. One day, two day, three day, day four, I am straight hangry and I don't understand why this is not playing out the way I thought it would, right? But over time, as a believer, these epic stories of Jesus walking on water and feeding the 5,000, this amazing Savior God that rescued me, these stories can become familiar and I can, I can, it can hinder me from growing in my faith when they just become casual, things that we know, not just things that inspire great faith in our life. Number six, habitual sin. The Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all wrestle, struggle with sin. But habitual sin, we're all walking one of two paths. John 10.10 10 says, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. There are no neutral paths in life. You are walking a path that leads to life or a path that leads to death. And when we enter into habitual sin, when we continually make choices that lead to sin, it can keep us from growing in our faith. And this is a short list. There's probably many others, but there's a lot of things that we're aware of and some that we're not that would keep us from growing in our faith. But my prayer for us this weekend is that God would cultivate a vision in us, a, a holy discontent as to where we might be today on that spectrum, to go after more, to experience him more. My prayer for us is found in Mark chapter nine, verses 17 through 24 there on your outline. I wanna read it to you. It says, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. Parents, if any of you feel like you've ever had one of those? Yeah, that's a different message. It'd be a good one, <laughs> but it's not where we are today. A son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. Ask your disciples to drive, it out, to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? <laughs> just, just picture this, okay? So Jesus is standing there, the father and son walk up, the spirit sees Jesus and the boy falls to the ground. He's rolling and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus turns to the dad, like, hmm, how, uh, how long has he been like this? He's <laughs> like, that's just funny. You gotta read, you gotta read some humor into that. Dad says, from childhood, he answered, it's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, you sense the desperation, if you can do anything, and beyond that, like if you even, if you want to, if you're willing, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I wanna dedicate this message today to any one of you who may have ever said that line, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. You're here today because in some way you believe. God's drawing you closer 
to him. You are a man or woman of faith or you're questioning your faith, questioning whether or not you believe. And I want you to know today that the gap between little faith and great faith is called unbelief. As much as you believe in him, there are areas of your life that you struggle to surrender, that struggle to to keep your faith from growing. And so I wanna pray for us as we get started, but before we do, I wanna invite you to raise your hand. If you would say, man, I would say that I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Would you raise a hand for me? Let me pray for all of us as we get started. God, I thank you so much for every hand that was raised here in this room and across all of our campuses. And we profess in the same way that that father did with his son, that God, I believe, but would you help me overcome my unbelief? I pray that today you would stir in our hearts and our minds a, a holy discontent with where we are. Give us vision for where you wanna take us. That if we're a two, we would be a four. If we're a six, we'd be an eight. Help us to grow in our faith today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 11.1 1, there at the top of your outline says that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Well, Hebrews 11 verse two says this is what the ancients were commended for. And then it goes throughout the rest of that chapter to give the example of 18 different men and women, including all the prophets, and it commends the thing that they were celebrated or acknowledged for. And I don't know about you, but the, the times that I've experienced the most life change as a husband or father or pastor has been when God has brought about a vision in my life, when he's given me an example, someone that I could watch and see and learn from to help me grow. And that's essentially what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. People refer to it as the hall of faith, right? Kind of like the hall of fame. These ancients that have gone before us that have been commended for growing in their faith in a certain way. I wanna invite you this week as we leave, man, come back to this chapter. Read some of these names and stories. See what God might have to teach you through them. But I want us to look at three of them today, three lessons that could help us grow in our faith. And the first of which is Abel's lesson. Number one, his lesson is to put God first. Put God first. Hebrews 11.4 there on the outline says, by faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks, even though he is dead. Now, Genesis 4, 3 and 4 kind of gives some context as to what were these offerings and what were we talking about. Let me read it to you. It says, in the course of time, everybody say course of time. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn, everybody say firstborn, firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Now what God was was pleased with here, what delighted him about Abel's offering here was a, a principle of priority, right? Cain wanted to bring a better offering, but he was not able. <laughs> you never know, are they gonna get the cheesy pastor joke or not? And you did. It came, it was a little late, but you got it, right? Thank you, that's good. What God was pleased with there was priority, right? It said that Cain, over the course of time, have you ever had anything in your life where you thought, I ought to do, we should do, I might do? Well, Cain was a farmer, and over time, a crop had grown, and he, he sat some aside, he sold some, he gave some out, and the Bible says that over the course of time, God came to mind, and he thought, you know what, I'm gonna give God some of that as well. But Abel, on the other hand, was a shepherd, and with the firstborn of his flock, 
Soon as the, the lamb was born, he said, I'm gonna give an offering unto the Lord. I'm gonna thank him. What God was pleased with was priority. You know, it's, it's common for us to come to Christ, to enter into a relationship with God and our faith be put in a box that we would label God stuff or things I believe or stuff I do on Sunday, right? And that box is one of many others. We've got a, a work box and a family box and a hobbies box. And the principle here is that if God's not first on the list, he's not on the list. He wants to be the box that encompasses and informs all of the other boxes. He wants to be the first in your life. What areas of your life might you need to put God first this weekend? Maybe it's a relationship for you. I remember when Katie and I first started dating. The day before I met her, man, I was a happy college kid. I had just moved out of my parents' home. I was living in a house with a bunch of friends. We were playing intramural sports, working out every day, going to see Carolina lose. I was loving the college life, you know what I'm saying? But then the next day when I met Katie, everything changed. This godly, smoking fine woman. I went home and told my roommate, I was like, bro, I'm gonna marry that girl. He's like, shut up, man, whatever, you know? 14 months later, right, we were engaged. We would go on to be engaged for 14 months, which I would not recommend to anyone who is burning with passion, right? Because we were committed to purity. Guys, if you're dating a girl until she is your bride, she is the bride of Christ, and purity in your relationship is important. We were committed to that. And so we had to keep drawing boundary lines to put God first. You're like, all right, if we're gonna watch a movie at the house, we can't be snuggling. I can't get horizontal. We, that's just a boundary. We got to keep our own space, you know? And so then it became, we, we can't French kiss. I don't know if this is TMI, but these were the boundaries, okay? <laughs> so I'm like, we can't, we can't do that, you know? Then it became, we can't kiss. And then it was like, girl, I'm gonna marry you, but I'll see you in a month. I can't be around you. <laughs> This ain't, gonna, this ain't gonna work, right? Because we put God first. Is it in a relationship for you? Is it maybe in your family or an old friendship? The Bible tells us to make every effort to promote unity of the spirit through the bond of peace, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us. Is there someone you've written off thinking, man, there are eight billion other people in the world. I'll focus on some other relationships instead of working on that one, right? And putting God First, it's gonna invite you to make some changes in your life. For Cain and for Abel, this example of putting him first was all about their offering. In their day, they didn't get a paycheck, right? There was no salary or income. All they had was, was what they had taken from the land. And so to lay this out over our day and age, here's what it looked like. Cain got his paycheck, and he paid the mortgage, he paid the camel bill, he paid the, the grocery bill, he got his stuff, and at the end of the month, he had a little bit of money left, and he said, all right, God, I'm gonna give you an offering, and the only challenge for that is that you know if you wait until the end to give it to the Lord, sometimes there's more month left than there is paycheck, right? And over the course of time, God, I wanna give you something. On the other hand, Abel got his paycheck. He said, God, I wanna give you a tithe. I wanna give you an offering first, and it was that attitude that pleased God's heart. Maybe for some of you today, Putting him first is gonna be in the area of finances. It's such a tangible area of trust. When you give him the first cut, you've gotta trust him with the rest of the month. God, you know my needs, you know my bills, and maybe today's the day where you're gonna take a step of faith and put him first. But that first lesson, Abel's lesson, is to put him first. Number two there on your outline is Enoch's lesson. 
And that's to walk with God, to walk with God. Hebrews 11:5 there on your outline says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. How many of you would like to go out like Enoch? I'm like, yes, Lord, I will take that. (laughs) Come on down, you're the next contestant. Like, take me that way, so I don't have to experience death. Says he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. To get a little context on Enoch's story there, Genesis 5, 24 on your outline, it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God, then he was no more because God took him away. That, that phrase there in the Hebrew, walked faithfully, literally means he walked in stride with God. He walked in stride with God. Katie and I have, have two dogs, uh, Sunday, who is a golden doodle, and Sarge, who is a Bernadoodle. And a couple years ago, our kids wanted a dog. I said, fine, but if you want one, you've gotta pay for it, and it's gotta be some kind of doodle because daddy's allergic, so good luck with that, right? And sure enough, one year, two year, three year, they were saving until I realized, doggone it, we're gonna have to get a dog. Like, this is gonna happen, right? And so we get Sunday. Turns out she grows up to be the dream dog. Loving, obedient, sweet, just amazing. I'm like, look at this job we've done, raising this amazing dog right now. (laughs) Turns out she was just a good dog, right? And so we're always on the go and busy. And so over time, we started considering a stupid question of like, should we get Sunday a friend, right? That's a bad question. And we hadn't acted on it because part of me knew, like that would be dumb. Don't mess up a good thing. But then my dad passed away. We had all these feelings of grief and then Katie found this cute puppy. My dad was a Marine. We thought we could name him Sarge. So then we did the dumb thing and we got the second dog. And now I've got all these weird grief feelings attached to this animal I can't get rid of, right? Just a mess. Well, right now our biggest challenge with the dogs is walking them, because we take them out in our neighborhood, go to walk them, and for every person that passes, every other dog or deer in the distance, they're taking off and running and wanting to go after the squirrel, about pulled my mom down on the ground, skin up our kids' knees. I'm like getting a workout, walking them around the neighborhood. I got the leash all wrapped around my arm. All of our friends are like, oh, you should get the three-point harness. Oh, it's really helpful. All you gotta do is get the, the friendly leader, the nose guide, the, the chain link, like all these things we've tried. It takes me 10 minutes to figure out which way do you even put this thing on the dog, right? This is supposed to be the enjoyable part of having the animal, walking him around the neighborhood, right? Instead, we're walking around getting yanked all over the place. I don't even want the dogs, you know? Maddening. I think about when I walk with my kids. We'll go to a store and I'll hop out the car, and as we're getting out, I take off into the store. And I turn around, and my kids are like eight feet behind me. I'm like, come on, we're going in the store, right? I'm constantly calling them up to my pace. So slow, pick it up, right? When, <laughs> I need to get a harness for my kids, right? <laughs> come on. When you think about walking with God, what do you imagine that looking like? Do you think he's gonna, he's gonna yank you around so that you can't go places that you want to? Do you think he's gonna outpace you? He's gonna take you places too fast, you're gonna have to do some things that you're not comfortable with? I thought that might be in the cards, but I'm not quite ready to do that. One of my favorite passages that paints a picture for us of walking with him comes from Matthew 11, 28 through 30 in the message. It says this, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. 
unforced rhythms of grace. A couple weeks ago, Katie and I went to a Donovan Frankenreiter show. I'd heard some of his songs in the past, never knew his name, but he was having, it was actually a rehearsal at a little store that he allowed people to come and observe, so a cool little unplugged kind of environment. Went on for a couple hours, and after the show, he was leaving the store, kind of taken off down an alley, and he had one of his sons with him, and I was just watching him, because it was cool, you know, whatever, and he walked the whole alley with his arm around his son's shoulder, just kind of whispering in his ear. And it just caught my attention, because it, it wouldn't have been what I expected, and it's usually not how I walk, if I'm being honest. Well, the next morning at breakfast, uh, Katie and I saw him there with his wife and, and kid again, and they got food, they were sitting at a bar, so while I'm eating my burrito, I'm straight studying, dude, you know, because he's famous, and that's what you do, right? And so uh, they sit down at the bar and sit their, feet, their food, their feet up on the counter, they set their food up on the counter, and Donovan reaches over and grabs his son's stool and pulls it close to him. I just thought, man, that's sweet. You know, seeing him walk with him, then seeing him pull the stool close. They got up and cleared their plates, and as they walked off from breakfast, sure enough, he put his arm around his kid, and they walked off together. I couldn't help but think, man, how secure in his father's love do you think that kid's gonna grow up to be? Do you think walking with his dad, he's gonna think that's burdensome or heavy? Do you think he's gonna be afraid to walk with him? Man, he's gonna be so close, so secure in their relationship, so confident of his father's love for him, and that is the kind of walk, the kind of invitation that God is extending to us. Enoch's lesson, the reason that God snatched him up was because he had stayed in stride with the Spirit. God's so delighted in his willingness to walk with him, to get to know him, and that is the invitation that he's extended to us today. In every single one of those boxes, in our relationship, in our finances, in our faith, walk with me. Learn with me. See how I do it. Learn these unforced rhythms of grace. So number one, we've gotta put God first. Number two, we've gotta walk with God. And number three, Noah's lesson, is we have to act on God's word. We have to act on God's word. Hebrews eleven seven says, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. When warned about things not yet seen, what kind of things were those? First of which was a boat. God said, no, I want you to build a boat. Noah said, okay, what's that? You know, never seen a boat. He said, because a flood is coming. Like, really, what is that, right? God said, don't worry about it. I'll just give you the dimensions. Do this, right? By faith, Noah built the boat. He did the things. In holy fear of God, he prepared for some things that were unseen. James 2.22 unpacks this a little bit for us. It says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. We have to act on God's word. That's his written word, the stuff that we would read, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to worship a God for who he is, to be thankful for what he's done in our lives, to share our faith, to help reach people that don't know him, who haven't found God. So many things that are very black and white. But we also have to act on God's spoken word in the same way Noah did. A couple weeks ago, I was at a, a coffee shop doing some work and I saw a woman across the way who was just getting emotional and she was working through tissues, tears running down her cheek. And right as I saw her, I felt like God dropped Amanda in my, in my spirit. And what I saw playing out over the next couple minutes was that I was gonna go up to her 
and say, hey, is your name Amanda? I noticed you were, you were upset, is, is, that your, is that your name? And thought she would say, yeah, it is. We've never, you know, we've never met, what's up? Then I would say, well, God told me your name and I think it was only so that you would know that he sees you and loves you and knows what you're walking through. So I walked up to her, said, excuse me, ma'am, I noticed you were emotional, is your name Amanda? She said, no, it's not, and I'm very sick. And then she walked away. <laughs> it's not how you thought that story was gonna end, did you? <laughs> no, I know. When we respond in faith to God's spoken word, we don't always get it right, you know? Noah wasn't a perfect guy. You look at what happened after that boat landed after 40 days at seas. Man, he didn't, he didn't make all the best decisions. And there's gonna be times that God's spirit speaks to us, nudges us to act on his word that you're gonna pull at Amanda, right? You ain't gonna get it quite, I'm sorry if your name is Amanda, right? <laughs> you're gonna pull at Josh, right? And you're not gonna get it quite right, but it's not about whether or not you get it right. It is about your willingness to respond in obedience to his word, to act on his word. You know, as you think about growing in your faith, if you read the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, each of the things that the ancients were commended for were things like patience, not, not trusting their feelings, but trusting in God's word. We like to think about growing in our faith, being people of great faith, meaning that we have all this biblical knowledge and we always make the right decisions and we always do the right stuff. But you read through Hebrews chapter 11 and then read the stories about these ancients that were commended, they struggled with sin, they were liars, their lives looked a lot like you and mine, but they did the elementary things that they were commended for. They were committed to growing in their faith, not being perfect men and women of faith. So how do we do that? A couple weeks ago, Katie and I went on an epic vacation with a bunch of our, our friends from our small group. It was 16 people. Five of them were turning 40 this year. And over the course of the last eight years or so, we've been a group. And in that time, some of the friends have gotten in arguments. They've literally unfollowed each other on social media, <laughs> had to apologize, ask for forgiveness, make up. Like the friendships haven't been perfect, but we've fought for each other. We've been the ones to show up at each other's house as family members have passed away. We've been the ones in the hospital as, uh, as babies have been born. When, our, when we're personally struggling with sin, these are the people that, that we text, like, hey, struggling with some stuff, having this thought, you know, people that we can just be real with, not feel like we need to be polished and perfect, and we can say ridiculous things. I can say, hey, call me on this if this just sounds ridiculous, you know, but just the people in our life, that, as Pastor Greg says, they love us, but they're not all that impressed with us, right? You need those people in your life. Well, as we went on this vacation, my favorite thing about it was typically Katie and I go on a, on a vacation and like I like to do just silly stuff, jump off cliffs, like get wild and, and do stuff that I don't ordinarily do in Charleston, you know? And my guy friends will go do that with me. <laughs> Katie's more terrified. No, don't do it. I hate you for doing that, you know? So I just loved having guy time, girl time. It was so great being away with friends. But while we were away, one of the things that struck me was that I felt a sense of rest that I don't feel at home. Uh, even, even Sabbath for me is, is difficult. And so as we were talking about our primary takeaways, I was like, man, I just feel a sense of rest 
here that I wanna take home with me. But the problem with me going home is that I take me with me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You tend to replicate like who you are and what you do. So I was like, hey, I need you guys to, to help hold me accountable. Over eight years, they know me. They know my tendencies. If, if I start to withdraw, they see it, know it, they know what it means. They say, how you doing? And I say, good. They know my face good enough to say, well, that's crap. How are you really doing? You know, what's going on, right? They know me. Church, if we're gonna live out these truths, they're wildly basic, right? Put God first. Walk with God. Act on God's word. If you wanna have faith that you are commended for, if you want Jesus to say, man, what great faith. You're gonna need people in your life to spur you on. That language in scripture of spurring one another on towards love and good deeds literally means a kick in the butt. And if you don't have anybody in your life that's willing to kick you in the butt, then you're missing out. When we say join a small group, it's not just because we want you to have some friends, that's part of it. But we so want you to become the man and woman that God created you to be. And we know that significant life change happens in the context of relationships. So we got three more weeks, you can do it this week. There's groups kicking off across all of, our, all of our campuses, but we're not gonna show up at your house and make you join a group, right? You walking with God is gonna look much like Enoch did. You responding to the invitation and pursuing some of those unforced rhythms of grace in community, that your faith would be commended, that you would grow in your faith from wherever you are today to all that he's inviting you to experience tomorrow. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness in pursuing me and not allowing me to stay at a two or a three, constantly inviting me to experience more of you, to grow in my faith, to put you first, to walk with you, to act on your word. I just pray today, God, I pray for a sense of affirmation and grace for wherever we might be in our faith, whatever number we might have given ourselves. God, I pray that personally, just as the centurion and the disciples did, may we experience the miraculous. God, would you show up today and meet our needs, whatever they might be, wherever we are. Would we experience you, but God, would you cultivate in us a hunger, a holy discontent, a passion to not stay there, to grow in our faith and experience all of you. In Jesus' name, amen.